So I've asked one of our students to come and read the scripture text for the sermon this morning. Micah's going to read chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And Randy, I'm not putting you in the senior adult category, brother, like, uh, but maybe <laughs> the service, uh, the sermon is also about eating together, and Randy on Wednesday night serves back in the kitchen and it helps out, so I'm tying into the meal part and not the senior adult part when I ask you to pray for us. Is that fair? Okay. All right, sounds good. Micah, would you read uh, the scripture for us and then hand the mic to Randy and he's going to pray for us. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who, were follow who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Lord, we just thank you for this day. And we thank you if we sung today how great you are. We thank you that you are the great God that created all this universe. And Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers our sins. And Lord, we also sang about how people are hurting, God, and we know that today there are people here that are hurting. They've, they've lost people in their lives or that they've got people dealing with illness. We have people that are dealing with just the problems of life. And Father, we thank you that the hope that we have that comes from you. Amen. Father, we thank you for the comfort of the Holy Spirit that can meet people where they are and help us to deal with the struggles of life. God, we thank you also for our young people. We thank you for what we heard about last week as they went to Memphis. We thank you for the work that was done there. We pray you continue to work in Memphis where they were with the people there in some of those communities that are really hurting and, and are, they need things of life, but Father, we know they also need you. Father, we thank you for Owen. We thank you for our church, and we pray this morning you'd bless our service. We pray that you'd bless him as he shares the word. And we pray if there are people here that don't know you, we pray that they would follow you today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah, you can just lay that back there. So as we get started today, uh, thinking about this scripture passage, I want to ask a question. I know this doesn't apply to everyone's situation, but there may be a time growing up, whether it was at holidays or Sunday lunch after church, that you went with family or friends and there was a kid's table and an adult table. Anybody remember family gatherings where there was a kid's table and an adult table? Now, I just turned 40, and I'm still not sure how you advance from the kid's table to the adult table. Like, <laughs> at some point, I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to make, that, make that step. Like, you're at the kid's table, and then you think, maybe when I'm a teenager, I'm going to make the step up, but that doesn't happen. And then you get married, and then you have kids, and you're still at the kid's table because you're taking care of your kids and trying to make it up. At our family, there was always the kid's table, and there was the adult table. Who you sit with to eat who you're invited to eat with is not a small matter. It, it makes an impact on us. Just ask any of these students who have to go to the lunchroom on a regular basis. Who you sit and eat with says a lot about your identity, about how you're perceived and accepted by, by other people. 
This last Thursday, we had our senior adult pastor's potluck, and so our staff serves a lunch to the senior adults who come. Senior adults, if you're not coming to the pastor's potluck, come and join us. Last Thursday of every month, it's a lot of fun to be a part of. So I finished serving the food, and I got my plate, and I walked over to a table that had one open chair, and I'm like a middle schooler trying to find a place to sit, and I get over to the table, and they're like, ah, sorry, seat's taken. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Your punishment will be, I'll tell that story on Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> I found another place to sit. That's fine, you know? Might be the pastor, but they weren't afraid to tell me you can't sit with us. Like, what does it mean to not be invited to the table? What does it mean to say, no, no, you can't eat with us. You've got to eat at that lunchroom table, or you've got to eat at the kids' table, or you've got to eat over there. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. He went out again beside the sea. Jesus goes out again, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Jesus was constantly teaching. He came to show us what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God. He came to bring the good news of Jesus, and he's just constantly teaching. You probably know people like this in, in your life, or someone who's just a teacher at heart. Everything they do is about teaching, about training, about moving things forward, and, and this was who Jesus was. He taught with his words, he taught with his actions, and in fact, in the Gospel of Mark, you don't get a lot of long teaching sections. There's a couple of places that we'll get to in the gospel that are long teaching sections, but in the gospel of Mark, you don't get something like the Sermon on the Mount. But a verse like this contains that content. This is what Jesus would have been teaching about. How do you become part of the kingdom of God? And he would have been talking about how you repent and you believe in him. You repent and you believe in the gospel. And What does it look like to live as part of the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is, is often surprising and unexpected and upside down, and it's not what we would imagine it might look like for the kingdom of God to come. But Jesus was always teaching about this, teaching us what does it look like to live as part of his kingdom. And, and this story that we're going to see today, see today is, a, is another piece of that. As you're studying the Gospel of Mark, if you weren't with us last week, I pointed out that you always need to be watching for the crowd's the religious leaders, and the disciples. Throughout the gospel, you're going to see this pattern repeated over and over and over again. It shows up again today. How do the crowds respond to Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God? How do the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, how do they respond to this teaching about the kingdom of God? And then what does true discipleship, what does it look like to follow Jesus and, and be part of the kingdom? And so this morning, we're going to see a picture of the kingdom of God, a picture of what it looks like to respond to Jesus, how the crowds respond, how the religious leaders respond, how the disciples respond. But I want you to see from the very beginning, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. Verse 14, and as he passed by, as he's going on his way, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Verse 13 gave us a picture of the crowds coming to Jesus. Verse 14, though, describes discipleship. What does it look like to truly turn and follow him? And this verse is going to set up the scenario that's going to come in the next three verses. Because here Jesus encounters someone named Levi. 99% sure 
that Levi is the same character as Matthew in, in the New Testament. So Matthew, who wrote the first book of the New Testament, Matthew was one of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus most closely. There's some debate about that, but almost certainly Levi and Matthew are, are the same character when you read the stories across the Gospels. And we find here that Levi is a tax, collect, tax collector. Now, if you've watched the series The Chosen that's been out for the last couple of years, you know that famously Levi, or, or Matthew, is portrayed in that series as someone who is on the autism spectrum, uh, someone who doesn't like surprises, needs everything to fit squarely into a box, and into a pattern, and, and struggles with change in his life. Some of that is picked up from what we know from how the Gospel of Matthew is put together, but it's really interesting in that series how Levi is portrayed. But the main thing you need to know from this story is that Levi is a tax collector. In the time of the New Testament, there were generally two types of tax collectors. <laughs> you had the Zacchaeus tax collector, and you had the Levite tax collector. So the Zacchaeus tax collector is mega wealthy. Zacchaeus is more of a tax baron. He's, he's got some serious sway, some serious wealth. Then you have the Levi type of tax collector, where Levi would have worked at essentially a toll booth. As people were coming through with the material that they were going to sell, Levi would have set up his booth, and as they came by, he had to pay, or the person coming by had to pay a tax to Rome, but they weren't getting by Levi with adding a little bit of extra money. So, a couple ways to think about this. If you've ever traveled in a foreign country, another country, it's not uncommon that you're gonna have to pay a little bribe or a little bit of extra money to somebody to go someplace or access certain things. It's that kind of idea. Or, to bring it to Oklahoma, imagine the days of the turnpike, and I know turnpike's not a nice word in Oklahoma right now, but this is just, a, this is just an illustration, okay? Uh, so imagine the uh, days of the turnpike where it wasn't the pike pass, and they didn't just charge you by taking a picture of, of your license plate. You actually went through the toll booth. And remember the people that used to work in the toll booth and take your money, and imagine that in order for them to raise up the bar and let you through the toll booth, you hand them your dollar twenty-five or whatever, and they're like, nope, not good enough. You're like, what? Not, it said a dollar twenty-five on the sign back there. Like, nope, that's not going to get you through. You're like, well, how much is it going to take me to get through? And every little bit of extra money they get at the toll booth they get to keep because they have to pass on a certain amount. Think of how much you would dislike that person at the toll booth. <laughs> that every time you went through the toll booth, they were charging you extra money beyond what it should actually cost. This is how Levi would have been perceived in this culture. He was constantly raising the cost of what it took to pass goods through the area, and he was doing it to other Jews. He was doing it to his countrymen. Tax collectors were despised. In fact, to have a tax collector come into your house made the entire house unclean and impure. Now, if you remember last week, or a couple of weeks ago, we ran into the story of Jesus encountering the leper. Uh, I found out after that service that a lot of the little kids heard leopard that why was the pastor, why did he continue to talk about the leopard uh, from, from the stage? So I should have been more precise. It was L-E-P-E-R, kids. Uh, leper, not leopard. But uh, we talked about the, Jesus encountering the man who had leprosy, which I should have probably said. The man who had leprosy, who was unclean, and no one would interact with him. Tax collectors 
were worse than people with leprosy because the person who had leprosy didn't choose that path. The person who was a tax collector chose that path. They chose to go to that path, and they were despised. And what does Jesus do to the tax collector here? He says, follow me. Never, ever, ever get over the fact that Jesus does not call people based on their reputation or their job or their background. Jesus' grace in your life, the work that Jesus wants to do in your life is not based on your reputation, it's not based on your family background, it's not based on the job that you have, it's not based on your social status. And we don't have to work our way out of those things in order to make ourselves right with God so that he would call us. The grace of Jesus overcomes your reputation, overcomes your family background, overcomes your social status, overcomes your job. Never get over that, friends. That is an incredible gift. That is the gospel message that the grace of Jesus comes and calls us to follow him, not on the basis of anything that we bring. Because if you talk about an unlikely person to follow Jesus, Levi would have counted. Levi was out for himself. He was out for what he could get, how he could extort other people, what he could gain. And Jesus says to come and follow me. And this is crucial. When Jesus says to follow him, this is all out. This is turn away, repent, turn from who you were, and give all of your life to Jesus. Just what we're saying, I surrender all. That, that is, when you see follow me, just put in the words, I surrender all. All of life, all for Jesus. And so here is Levi living this unclean, impure, despised life, hated, hated by the people around him. And Jesus says, come and follow me. Be a part of my group of people. Think about how remarkable the thing, how beautiful that is. Whatever your story is, whatever your background is, that you feel like there's no way if people knew what I did or where I came from or what I'm dealing with that Jesus would ever receive me. He does. He does. He died for you. He calls you to follow him. So, verse 15, what happens next? Verse 15, it says, As he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So much of Jesus' ministry involves either feeding people or eating with people. Uh, and how much of contemporary life is feeding people and, and eating with people? So much of life is made up of those things. And here, Jesus is calling people to follow him who are extremely unlikely. And he's calling them, catch this, not to come and serve him at the meal, but he's calling them to come and eat with him that he is calling them to come and be in fellowship with him. And so this is not just, hey, I need people to follow me so they can serve, so they can watch me eat. He's inviting them to the adult table. He's not inviting them to eat with him so they'll sit over at another table off to the side. He is inviting them to be with him. This is restoration. This is full acceptance. This is not that Jesus has saved you part of the way and then you've got to earn your way the rest of the way. It's that you have been fully received, fully restored, fully accepted by Jesus to come and eat with him. And when you see this scene playing itself out, it seems like there's two groups of people in, in the room at, at this meal. There are those, many of those tax collectors and sinners who have followed Jesus completely, 
And there's also tax collectors and sinners who are there because they're really curious about someone, a religious leader, who would invite these kind of people to be with him. And so sometimes when this story is presented, people hear this story and there's kind of two sides of the track that you could fall off. Uh, One of the ways that the story is presented sometimes is, man, Jesus went to parties all the time and he partied with crazy people and I can go party with crazy people too. That's probably missing the point of the story. There's also people who read this story and say, well, Jesus was only with these tax collectors and sinners because they had gotten their life together and they were living in holiness. And so he, was only, he wasn't with the really bad tax collectors and sinners. He was just with the ones who had turned to follow him. Either one of those misses the point. The point here is that Jesus is with people. He's eating with people who were seen as terrible, despised, and who were struggling to get their life together but he did receive them, and he called them to follow him, not to live in their old way, not to continue to live how they were, but, but to follow him. Several years ago, I read a book, and I remember so little about the book. There were parts of the book I even specifically remember not agreeing with fully, but there was one phrase in the book that stayed with me and still stays with me today. The Christian life is about living in this tension where you are perceived as too pagan for your Christian friends and too Christian for your pagan friends. Uh, so let's, let's talk about that for a second because it, it, it gives us, we gotta be careful, I don't wanna cause confusion here, but, but hear me out because there's a call to holiness in the Christian life. But people would look at you, your, your non-Christian friends, your pagan friends, let's say. They would look at you and say, how can you be so devoted to Jesus? How can you be so devoted to living in a way that that honors him? Your Christian friends will look at you and say, how can you care so much about sinners and people who are far from Jesus? How can you love people and spend time with people who are so different than you? And there's this tension of totally surrendered to Jesus, living in holiness, pursuing his way, and eating with and loving the tax collectors and sinners. To say, people look at me and they feel like I'm too pagan for my Christian friends and too Christian for my pagan friends. You're living in that tension of I'm totally devoted to Jesus and his holiness, but I know the world needs Jesus. And I'm going to eat with, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to treat with dignity, and I'm going to spend time with people who are despised and on the outside and not considered worthy of, of that kind of attention. This is is what we're trying to get at here, and this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's spending time with them so that they would know what it is to turn and and to follow him. You go down to the next verse, verse 16. Oh, you know what? There's a really good story that was on my notes. It was on the next page. There's a great story here to tell. At the end of the day, after a sermon, people remember the stories you tell. They don't remember the rest of the part, so I don't want to miss my stories. Uh, There's a great illustration here. Well-known Christian author well-known Christian author who was traveling to Hawaii for an event there. Great event to be invited to, apparently, but it was being invited to Hawaii for an event, and he showed up late, got in late to this hotel, and he talks about going to an all-night diner that that was around the corner from this hotel. He gets to the hotel, and at the hotel, middle of the night, there uh, is a group of prostitutes who have gathered there to have food uh, in the middle of the night. And he overhears one of these ladies talking about how her birthday is the next day and she's never had a birthday party in her life before. 
So this Christian leader conspires with the owner of this all-night diner and some of these ladies' friends to throw a birthday party for her the next night. You get to the next, next night, middle of the night, there's a birthday cake and a birthday party provided for, for this prostitute. And the pastor offers to pray for her. The owner of the diner flips out because he didn't know this guy was a pastor. <laughs> he felt just probably purposely not said that he was a, a pastor. But he has to pray for him. The, the owner flips out and says, what kind of pastor are you? What kind of church are you a part of? And he said, I'm a part of a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. I'm a part of a church that says, come to Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. He eats with tax collectors and sinners, not so that they would remain in their sin, but so that they would know how good his love and forgiveness is, what it is to turn and to follow him. And you say, that's beautiful. Like, anybody would, would want to be a part of that. Eh, verse 16. <laughs> The scribes of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So many times when you encounter the scribes and the Pharisees in the New Testament, they're always off to the side, looking in, judging the situation, being critical of something that, that Jesus is doing here. And here they look and they see Jesus eating with these people that were considered unclean and impure because the Pharisees were devoted to not associating with or interacting with those who were considered unclean and impure. You still find this in, in our world today where religious people refuse to associate with person X because person X is somehow connected to person Y, and we don't want to make ourselves impure by these associations. Jesus doesn't seem worried by those type of things. He's trying to show what it looks like for the kingdom of God to go forward. Yeah, we need to be discerning, but Jesus is mainly trying to press forward the good news of Jesus, the gospel, the kingdom, into these hard-to-reach dark areas. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they just see these people as impure. Hear me out on this next phrase. So much of our approach to church and so much of our approach to the Christian life is based on how we perceive other people. What you see when you see another person drives almost everything about how we live our Christian life, how we think about missions, how we think about being a church. If we see someone and mainly we think they're impure, they've got a bad reputation, they're connected with the wrong people, you don't know their background, you don't know what they're doing, versus we see someone and we say, that person is created by God. They've been through a lot of hard situations that we don't know anything about. They're battling sin, they're caught up in darkness. God loves them and the kingdom of God is meant to reach them. They're sick and, and they need a physician. Those two ways of seeing people make, makes all the difference in how we approach life. There's a famous uh, parable that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke that talks about the difference between the, the Pharisees and the tax collectors. I think it up here on the, uh, on the screen. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 10. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. And then verse 13, the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then verse 14, how does Jesus wrap it up? I tell you, this tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Look at verse 17 about how Jesus responds to the situation here. When Jesus heard what, these tax, or what the Pharisees and scribes were saying, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now Jesus is not saying that the Pharisees are righteous, he's saying they see themselves as righteous. One of the hardest things that we have to do in order to be able to turn to Jesus and follow him is recognize how deep our need for him is. One of the main things that keeps family members, friends, people who are part of this world, people who work with us, keeps people from turning to Jesus is they just don't see the need. Until you see yourself as needing something that you can't provide for yourself or no one else can provide for you, it's very hard to turn and see that answer is coming from Jesus. But when you finally get to the core of your life and realize I have a problem that I can't fix on my own and there's no one else who can address this issue, sin and death, then we turn to Jesus. It's very hard to turn to Jesus when you don't sense deeply the need that you have. And part of growing in, in Christ is realizing how great our need for him is and how his whole mission is to come and draw those who are sick, draw those who are needy, draw those who are hopeless without him, that they would come and find healing in Jesus. And so you find in this story that those who humbly recognize their need are invited to eat with Jesus and be received by him, to be a part of his table and then to turn around and to share that same mission with the world around them. So what I want to give you as we wrap up today, I want to give you three meals that you're invited to. Three meals that you're invited to based off the word of God. The first meal is what we're going to call the gospel meal. Uh, and, and it's going to be lived out in the Lord's Supper that we're going to take together here in, in just a little bit. The gospel meal is this meal when you realize... I have a deep need in my life that I can't meet on my own. I can't overcome my sin. I can't overcome the darkness of the world. I can't overcome death. There is a deep need that I cannot meet. Only Jesus can meet that. And we come to him empty-handed, and he has given his life for us. I love this little quote. The communion table, gathering for the Lord's Supper, is not a potluck. <laughs> we're Baptists. We're experts at potluck. The gospel is not a potluck. We bring nothing to this table. God provides all that we need in Christ. This morning, your greatest need in life is to turn with open hands and receive what Jesus has done for you. It doesn't matter your reputation. 
It doesn't matter what you've done recently in life. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter your family background. Your greatest need this morning is to realize there are deep issues in my life that I can't overcome on my own, but Jesus has. And that you would turn to him and you would receive him and you would trust in him. As we gather as a church and remember the gospel and and take the Lord's Supper together, we're remembering we've been invited to this meal, not because of what we bring, but because of what Jesus has done for us. You're invited to this gospel meal, and I pray that you would realize how good it is. Number two, you are invited to what we're going to call missional meals. In the Christian life, a lot of the Christian life is involved with eating with and fellowshiping with and spending time with one another. And as followers of Jesus, we should be eating meals with people who are completely unexpected. The gospel brings us together to eat with those that we would not otherwise probably fellowship with, we would not otherwise connect with, that we would reach out and eat with those who in our culture are considered the tax collectors and the sinners, those who are despised and pushed to the side, that in the Christian life we can encourage one another with meals, that we can share the gospel with meals. Think about the way a meal can break down dividing walls and barriers and restore relationships. It doesn't matter if you're going out with your Sunday school class after, after church, uh, if it's the pastor's potluck, if it's the Discover Emmaus, if it's pizza and games tonight at 6 o'clock, if it's a meal you're just going to share with somebody this week, meals are a gift from God that you can use to share the good news of Jesus, that we are on mission through how we eat, and, and that should be good news to us. Number three, we'll wrap up with this. So there's a gospel meal that we're going to celebrate through the Lord's Supper. There's a missional meal that I'm sending you out to do immediately after church and and throughout this week. And then there's an eternal meal, an eternal banquet. Isaiah 25 says, On this mountain, speaking of God's holy mountain, the drawing together of all people at the end of time, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And then in verse 8, what is this meal all about? He will swallow up. He will take on death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. There is an eternal final meal that God has laid out that will go on forever for those who turn to him that he will destroy death, that he will wipe away tears, he will take away all pain and brokenness and offer this meal for those who turn and trust in Jesus. So my question for you is, where is your hope found? Where is your eternal hope placed? If it's not in Jesus, or when you think about death and you think about eternity, You're very uncertain of what that will look like in your life. You're very uncertain of what that will mean for you. Don't leave this morning without talking to somebody about that, that we want to talk with you about what it means to turn to Jesus and trust in him and to know that you'll be a part of this meal forever. Would you bow your heads with me right now? As soon as I pray for us, we are going to come to these tables and we're going to take of the Lord's Supper because it didn't seem possible to to study these verses this morning about being invited to eat with Jesus and not take a part of this gospel meal. So we're gonna come and we're gonna celebrate this. Here's what I'm asking you to do as you come to these tables and take the elements. Think about 
who God is calling you to eat with. What relationship in your life needs to be restored that a meal could be part of that? Who in your life doesn't know Jesus, who's not a follower of Jesus, they have spiritual questions and you could reach out and invite them to coffee, invite them to a meal? Think about what it is that we're invited to come and Jesus has provided all that we need. Father, thank you for this great story in the New Testament. God, help us to be so careful how we view other people. God, that we would not be those who in pride turn and see people for their background or their reputation or what's going on in their life. God, we would see them as those who Jesus has died for because that's been true of us. God, would you use this Lord's Supper time to remind us how good the gospel is and where our eternal hope is found. And God, if there's anybody here who's unsure about eternity, that as soon as this time is finished, God, that they would turn to someone beside them, that they would come forward to me or to one of the other pastors, and they would find salvation in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.